Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. My name's Trent. I get the privilege of being the pastor here. Thanks for joining us. Um, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 17, and so I want to invite you there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. If you need to grab one, you can borrow it and return it. Or if you need to take a Bible that you can read and understand, it's our gift to you. We'd be happy to buy more Bibles. That's not a problem. That actually is the translation that I'll be I'm preaching from this morning. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up your Bible app and find our live event uh, right now um, and track along with the scripture and sermon notes and so forth. This is the moment in our service where we have a kind of a time for pastoral prayer. And so let's take a minute here and pray together and we'll ask for God's help and then we will uh, jump in. Uh, so Father, we're here gathered and grateful um, of people who um, have experienced, so many of us have experienced grace on top of grace. And we woke up this morning to new mercy, and we have found um, the reality is, is that every time we have needed something, you've provided for us in ways that we could have never imagined. And you have met the deepest longings and needs of our souls. And so we are your people now. You are, our commitment, our, our allegiance is to you, and we want to be followers. And so I pray particularly as we examine the text that's in front of us today, that you would help us to follow you into these things. Um, by your Holy Spirit, would you clear away distraction and um, anything that's, that's going to worry us or anything that's going to kind of choke out things that we need to hear? Would you put all of that aside? And would you help us to hear what you have for us? And Spirit, would you lead us and help us to follow you into these things? That, that is what we want. And to that end, Spirit, um, we also add to that same prayer that as we follow you, that you would transform us. We don't want to be the same. Would you make us a different kind of people? And we ask that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Acts chapter 17. And so uh, we're going to jump in here in verse um, 16, uh, just for clarity's sake. Uh, as we get started reading here, Paul has been in Thessalonica, kicked out in Berea, been kicked out. Those are both two little towns there. And now verse 16, and now while Paul was waiting for them, that's, that's Silas and Timothy, while he was waiting for them at Athens. So Paul has made his way to Athens there. Um, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. That would be non-Jewish people who went to the synagogue uh, and in the marketplace every day. So he's in the synagogue and he's in the marketplace every day uh, with those who happen to be there. And some of the uh, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. If you're an underliner in your Bible, that might be a good thing to underline because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, which was this hill kind of outside of the marketplace. It's where they did a lot of the kind of city business and other things happened there. It was a, a, a place known for kind of collecting the, the leaders of the day. Uh, they brought him to the Areopagus saying, 
May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all uh, the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new, which is profound to me because that means social media has been around a long, long time. Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And uh, we're going to stop there. We'll actually pick up the rest of the sermon next week. Uh, But I wanted to back up and and just provide four phrases for us to think about and hopefully, God willing, live into this week and in this season of our church's life because there are lots of great things happening here. God is doing some good things. Growth is happening. All the things that you would want to measure or trending the way, all of that stuff is good. The spirit is good. God is at work. I'm grateful for those things. And I want to say, let's lean into some of these things that we're going to see here in the text in light of where God is taking us and some of the ministry challenges that are out there. Let's lean into these things. We're going to start in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within them as he saw that the city was full of idols. So let's start with this phrase. First phrase out of the four, the broken world. There is a broken world out there. Anybody notice this? Did you watch the news? Okay, the world is broken. And some people think, well, the 21st century is way worse than the first. No, 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 no. The 21st century is bad. The first century, it was bad. Okay, Paul walks through Athens. And if you've ever been there, maybe uh, you can recall this in your mind. There's kind of these uh, remnants and relics of this too. But he walks through and there's a statue here and an altar here and an uh, a, a object of religious uh, significance here. And he's just kind of walking through that city and he sees idol after idol after idol. That's what the Bible says in verse, at the end there. It was full of idols. Does anybody know of any other cities that might be full of idols? Ours don't, aren't necessarily made of stone anymore. We have statues of sports teams and sports players and billboards advertising this. I mean, we have a city still full of idols. And, and the, the, the brokenness expresses itself in the um, acts that people do, in the words that they say, um, in the ideas that they hold, in the worldviews that shape them and help them interpret what's going on. That brokenness is everywhere. And here's the thing. The world consistently gives itself to everything that does not satisfy. Like, that's the singular summation of the brokenness of this world. It consistently gives itself to everything that does not satisfy. Because they didn't have just one idol. What does the Bible say? It is full of idols. The Bible describes the city as full of idols. And I think that's important to note here because uh, for us as followers of Jesus, uh, a couple of things. Number one, it's important to note because what we don't want to do is, is say that what is broken is actually not broken. What we don't want to say is, hey, uh, we, re- we see that this is broken, but actually that's okay. And there are all sorts of pressures, all sorts of uh, uh, cultural things happen, societal things that are happening here that would want us to take some version of some uh, topic or, or idea or worldview and say, hey, we understand that the Bible describes this as broken, but let's just say it's okay after all. We don't want to be those people. We never want to let go. When we, the scripture that popped up on the screen just a few minutes ago, Jesus came, he made his dwelling among us, and, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father. This is John 1, 1, 14, full of grace and 
truth, both. We don't need to let go of the truth in order to deal with the brokenness of the world. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to surrender that. Um, And we need to recognize that the world consistently gives itself to everything that doesn't satisfy. And if we redefine what's broken and what's not, guess what? We then will be the people who are giving ourselves to what doesn't satisfy. It's also important, though, because we don't want to accept its brokenness. Not just redefine what's broken and what's not, but to accept it. Because there are times when, maybe this is you, uh, maybe this is me, but there are times when we see the brokenness in the world and it feels overwhelming or it feels so jumbled or it feels so whatever, and we just say, ah, well, that's just the way that it is. God did not leave us on the planet so that we could say that's just the way that it is. We don't pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done so that we look at the world and go, eh, yep, broken, just the way that it is. Well, you and I are designed by, commissioned even by God to be a force for good in this world. So we don't just leave it the way that it is. We don't accept that the, world doesn't, that the world gives itself to stuff that doesn't satisfy. We don't want that to be the case. And so what is Paul's reaction to that? Again, at the beginning of verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked. Is there anything in our world that your spirit is provoked inside of you? Um, uh, it bothered Paul as he was walking around Athens. It bothered him that God was not getting the honor due him. The provocation was not about Paul and him not getting his way or him being inconvenienced or him not getting uh, uh, his, his rights or uh, um, uh, you know, being infringed or whatever. The, the provocation for Paul was, hey, God is not getting his due. Paul grew up as a Jew. Um, He knew the Ten Commandments, the first two of which are, you shall have no other gods before me, and don't make a idol, a graven image. And guess what? He's walking around Athens, and there's all of these other gods that are being worshipped here, and they're all portrayed. And Paul's like, look, man, the real God can't be contained or captured. The essence of how amazing he is can't be captured by some stone or some relic. Or some... So he's provoked in his spirit. I, 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 this particular word, I, I pressed pretty hard on this week. Um, this word, because I was trying to figure out, like, what does that look like? And, and uh, Luke actually uses this word back in Luke 15 when Paul and Barnabas separate. The Bible says there was a sharp disagreement. And that's, that's the idea that there was, he was in Athens and he was seeing all this and there was this sharp splitting. There was provocation inside of him. When you press a little further, this was the favorite thing that I found this week in study. When you press a little further, the etymology of the word, where it really draws its roots from is something like this. Paul's spirit got the fever. Anybody ever had that? Where you see something and all of a sudden, like your chest gets hot and you're having trouble breathing? You're like, that's, that's just not right. And not, you know, something kind of wells up inside. That's the, that's the idea. Paul's spirit kind of, he got the fever there. So the, the lesson learned, though, is this. Is that while this provocation, this fever, so to speak, compelled him to something, what it did not do, um, what it, not, it did not do, it, it did not determine his response. In other words, his response was shaped by where he was and the ministry he wanted to do, not by just the feeling that he had. What an important lesson for our day. You don't have to respond out of just what you feel. You can respond with wisdom here. Even though it may be that something inside of you that compels you to do something, you can let what you do be shaped by the rest of what the Bible says. 
Um, I say that to say this. It's, it's in us, I think, especially if you grew up in a religious household like I did, it's in us to look out at the world and see the world as bad. If we do, I think what, it, um, what gets invited by that worldview, hey, I see the world, I see the culture, I see society, it's, it's, it's bad. The invitation then is to judgment. I see that badness and it invites my judgment. If I see the world is broken, it invites my compassion. Question, which do you think the Lord would have us to do? He wants us to be a people who, I specifically chose that phrase, it is a broken world. There are bad things that happen, that is true, but it is a broken world. And so we don't step out with judgment. We're invited to see the world as broken, and because of that, it invites our compassion towards it. A broken world. That's, that's where this starts. And you and I, we live in it, and we're going to step out into it. Have tomorrow off, and then it's back at it on Tuesday, and it'll be just as broken on Tuesday as it was last week. What do we do about that? Verse 17. So he, don't, don't miss this, so, so in light of this brokenness in this world, in light of his provocation, in light of his, his spirit catching the fever, um, verse 17, so he responded, it compelled him. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So what, what did Paul do? Paul was among both the religious and the irreligious, right? The Jews and those devout persons and in the marketplace. He had both of those things. My guess is it would probably split us 60-40 right here if we decided which one we wanted to be around more. Religious people or kind of irreligious people. Um, Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I wonder which one I would be, right? Here's the thing. But here, here's the thing. He was present. And the church is called by God to be present. Yes, the world is broken, but that doesn't mean that, that we can disconnect from it. We are a present church. That's what Paul does. So, because of the brokenness of the world, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace. And, and don't miss this because he had this consistent pattern in the marketplace. And then the very next phrase is every day. This wasn't just a part-time gig. Like he engaged the brokenness of the world by being present. And how was he present? He was present every day. He had this consistent pattern of engagement. He refused to be absent. There are times when the brokenness of the world might tempt us to go, Ugh. Paul refused to be absent in that moment. Um, there are two ways that I think historically the church has kind of responded to this, uh, both of which I think uh, Paul pushes us the exact opposite way. So uh, temptation number one is to withdraw. And Paul is saying no withdrawal, none. You don't pull back on this deal. You don't, you're not absent. In the marketplace every day, on, in the synagogue, every Sabbath day, uh, he was there reasoning with them. No withdrawal. The, the quote, the saying that might go along with uh, this temptation to withdraw is something like this. They're not like us. And it's true. Paul was a Jew from Tarsus. Here he is in Athens, kind of the, the capital of democratic um, and, and thought. And, and they were thought leaders and, and they weren't like him. They weren't. And for us, as we step into the brokenness of the world and we are present in the midst of the brokenness, you know what we're going to find? They're not like us. They're not like us racially. They don't view sexuality the same. 
they don't vote like we do. Um, they don't uh, engage the world like we do. They educate their kids like we do, or they don't have the same level of, uh, level of education as we do. There are all sorts of ways that they are different than us, but Paul is giving us this example to follow here, no withdrawal. It's true, they're not like us, but we don't withdraw from that. The other way, I think the church has kind of historically done this is retreat, and Paul is saying in this same thing, no retreat. So no withdrawal because they're not like us, but also no retreat. Um, and and I don't, I am really trying not to be trite here, but the, the, the phrase that comes along with this goes something like this. Well, they may hurt us. Yes, they may. In fact, this is all we've seen from Paul since he left and on his first missionary journey. At the end of chapter 13, he gets beat up. At the, in the middle of 14, with all of these cities, Lystra and Derby and some of these other places. I mean, in Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead, right? And in chapter 15, he has this struggle inside the church and then this sharp disagreement with his traveling buddy Barnabas. And then chapter 16, he goes to these places and you know what? He gets run out of town consistently. Um, and, and in Philippi, he's, throw, he's beaten um, and then thrown into jail, left overnight, and then tried to be uh, spirited away at night just secretly and, and so that he could go on about his business. And then chapter 17, Thessalonica, he gets run out of town. Chapter, uh, in the middle of chapter 17, Berea, he gets run, Like, this is what happens and will increasingly happen to those who follow Jesus in an increasingly secular culture. But we don't retreat from that. And again, I'm not trying to be trying. I'm not trying to say the pain won't be real or whatever. But here's the question. Like, what's the worst that can happen to Paul? They kill him? If they do, he wins. Isn't that what he said? For me to live is Christ and to die is, somebody say it, it's gain. So he's looking at this going, I see the brokenness of the world. And the courage doesn't come from me being like some major warrior. The courage comes from, hey, what's the worst they can do to me? Well, so I'll just step out into this. No need to withdraw. No need to retreat. He was present. He was present. Broken world, but a present church. Continuing on in the story here, verse 18. Because um, he stepped into this broken world. His presence was based on this, the third phrase, complete confidence. Verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. So let's pause here and just say that he engages with people on all levels here. So you've got um, Jewish folks and Gentile people, folks who uh, grew up uh, knowing the God of Israel and folks who didn't know God from a goat. I mean, that's, that's, he grew up with both of those. I mean, he would minister, be among both of those. And he, he um, engaged with people in the marketplace, blue-collar folks. They worked at the plant, were zipping home, picking up the groceries on the way so that they could be home in time to get the kids in bed. He engaged with those people and the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers, which are kind of the thought leaders of the day. And some of you have the opportunity to work with blue-collar folks and some of you have the opportunity to sit in rooms and in conference tables and with thought leaders of the day. Paul was engaged with all of them. We get to be engaged wherever we, we, we step into the brokenness of this world as the present people of God. And we do so with a kind of complete confidence because the gospel is not for some people, but for all people. Therefore, he engaged 
with everybody. And he didn't just engage because, as you would expect, they began to push back. And he, so he took their ridicule. Look in the middle of verse 18. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? In other words, are you really going to add anything to this conversation? I mean, are you really, you really going to do this? Um, it sounds like you're talking about fantasies here. And so he says, um, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, like a, maybe a nice diversion here. But really, the truth of the matter is, is that we're in Athens. We know what we're doing. We're going to just move on um, from here. Um, uh, and then he continues on in verse 19, or excuse me, at the end of verse 18, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know this new teaching that, uh, it, excuse me, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. Don't miss that phrase. You bring some strange, they had not heard this before when somebody doesn't know what do we call that? We call that ignorant. We call that ignorant, and that's, that's where they were. That's why he could engage in the ways that he did and, and step in with such confidence. He was willing to engage them at their place. He had absolutely nothing to lose as he walked into the marketplace, so to speak, into the arena of ideas. He could just be out there and put Jesus out there with nothing to lose. Here's why. He had complete confidence that Jesus would win the day. May we be a people. Who, when we get challenged on things, when we get pushed on things, we, we can just know that Jesus is going to win ultimately in the marketplace of ideas. He is. We say it around here. He has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life. Therefore, we can just set him out there. We can just put him right out there and do that with a complete kind of confidence. Uh, there's an old preacher um, kind of story. It's, it's, it is stuck with me for decades now. It's worth telling in this moment um, because people will push back. Well, what does this babbler have to say? You're preaching for divinity, whatever, whatever that sounds like in your world. Um, and the, the preacher story goes like this. Hey, uh, let's pretend you're at the zoo, right? And you're looking at the lion. All of a sudden you turn around. There's an angry mob that wants to kill the lion. What do you do? Do you put yourself between the lion and the angry mob? No, you open the gate and let the lion out, right? I think that the lion will take care of himself. And indeed, that's kind of, as people come at you or come at the truth of Jesus and what he has done for us, it's not like you have to stand in there and make this monster argument or just open the gate. Jesus can hold his own in the marketplace of ideas. He has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life. He had nothing, um, he had nothing to lose. Uh, the last little bullet under this particular point, uh, just maybe you've heard this word, maybe you haven't, but pluralism, this, this idea that there are many idols, many gods out there, pluralism is not our enemy. In our particular world right now, we see this, people are uh, just kind of, there's all these different expressions of religion uh, that have popped up and, and uh, uh, maybe are even a part of your conversations on a weekly basis with coworkers or neighbors or friends or soccer team people or baseball team people or whatever. Pluralism, this, this, hey, well, you know, we're just kind of all in this together kind of approach. Pluralism is not our enemy. In the first century church, they were in a very pluralistic society. In the 21st century church, guess Guess what? We are too. In the first century church, with great sacrifice, the gospel blew the world up. And in the 21st century church, with great sacrifice, it may very well 
do the same. Pluralism is not our enemy. It may, in fact, be our opportunity. Even though we're in a post-Christian culture um, uh, that, that tempts us to root ourselves in, you know, kind of in these little enclaves, fortress ourselves uh, because we no longer hold kind of cultural influence or power. Um, I'll just make a couple of predictions here. Um, because pluralism is not, not our enemy, it may very well be our opportunity. We can step forward with confidence. One, because Christianity will stand out in contrast um, to the culture. It will stand out in greater relief to the culture. As the brokenness of the culture increases, those who live according to the wisdom and beauty and truth of Jesus will stand out and it will be magnetic for people. As the brokenness continues to unfold and as, as the, the shatterings uh, go where they will, the, the uniqueness of the life of those who follow Jesus will stand in stark contrast. And that's not a bad thing, folks. Pluralism in that moment will not be our enemy. It will be, a, I think, a fantastic opportunity. Um, and... and the second prediction I will make, because we can, and we can live this out with complete confidence, I think cultural Christianity, as we've known it, particularly in the South, will not survive the uprooting. What do you mean by that? Yeah, cultural Christianity, kind of the social pressures to, you know, at least be around a church and kind of act like you're a Christian or whatever. Hey, walk an aisle, say a prayer, get baptized. Don't give Jesus your allegiance. Just do the religious thing, whatever it is. Like that will die away. And folks, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because cultural Christianity is no friend of biblical Christianity. And so we will then stand not only in stark contrast to this, but th- those who are genuinely followers of Jesus, and th- they, will, they will walk in ways that are so profoundly different than the world. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, when he preached, and we'll look at this more next week, but when he preached, because he was so confident, because he was so confident when he preached, um, his tone sounded like Jesus. And you'll, we'll see this next week. But just, just know um, th- this fever that his spirit got, th- this provocation that he got, it did not make him a verbal flamethrower. Instead, what it allowed him to do was talk like Jesus talked. He looked at the brokenness of the world and he met it with compassion. We don't argue with our culture because they're ignorant. They don't know. It's strange things that they're telling Instead, we just, we just do what uh, Paul did here, and that leads us to this last phrase. Um, so, just review, broken world, but the church doesn't withdraw. It's a present church, and then we have complete confidence in this. Therefore, what do we do? We do what Paul did. We make a clear announcement. Look at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, right in the middle of the leadership of the city, a men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. So he's walking along, he's got one to Zeus and one to this guy, one to that lady, one to this thing. And, oh, look, there's one that says, well, we don't know who 
altars. I mean, we don't, we don't know. Okay, okay, good. Paul says in this, what therefore you worship as unknown or in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Clear announcement, meaning what? These two bullets. First of all, he starts where they are. In an increasingly secular culture, we'll have to find opportunities in their ignorance just like Paul did. He's walking around. He sees this to an unknown God. He's like, hey, that's my end right there. Some of you have office conversations that you've had this past week or this past month or that are coming this week where people will express kind of their spiritual ignorance and that will be an opportunity for you to do this. Well, you know, I just kind of believe we all worship the same God. When you just say, hey, listen, not my God. I'm not trying to pick an argument. But just like, my God's very different than that. Um, well, so-and-so, so, whatever it is, there would just be this, this moment where you get to give a testimony, a clear announcement. You're not making an argument. You're, you're announcing what's true. He, earlier, he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. He starts where they are. Um, the temptation Especially if you grew up, listen, if you grew up around a religious household like I did, if you grew up kind of in the church, the temptation could be there. See if this is true in your life. It could be there to be frustrated with the brokenness and their ignorance. Anybody with me on that? Don't raise your hand. Just It could be there, the temptation could be there to be frustrated with their brokenness and their ignorance. And I have to remind myself, I have to be critiqued even by the scriptures and by people who love me to say, hey, listen, if you're frustrated with them in their brokenness and their ignorance, you might as well be frustrated with the blind guy who can't see that the grass is green. They're broken and they're ignorant. And I have to start where they are. That's what Paul did. Hey, I see this altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you about it. And then he preaches Jesus. The rest of the sermon we'll see next week. It's just packed with Jesus. Just know um, the summary statement at the end of verse 18 is exactly what happens. He He was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so as Paul makes this clear announcement, he's not making an argument. He's making an announcement. He's saying, this is what the reality is. And they described it as, you're preaching some very strange things. Can we just pause a second? It is a very strange story. Hey, there's a God of the universe. And he made a world full of people who turned away from him. But he loved them so much that he pursued them. And ultimately sent his son as one of them. Not like coming in, ripping the skies open. Let me tell you what's about to He came as a baby. And he grew up. And then one day, he started telling people about the rule and the reign of God that was present. The kingdom of heaven is right here at hand. And it so jacked people up. And so challenged the powers that were spiritually and politically that it got him killed. Good news though, he said it was going to get him killed. And he also said, don't worry, three days later, I'll get up from the dead. And three days later, he got up from the dead. He spent 40 days walking around with his people, trying to help them understand how to navigate life now that he is raised from the dead. And then he says, y'all stick around for a few minutes and then I'm going to take some of me and I'm going to put it in you. And then you're going to go change the world. That's a pretty strange story. 
hey, we follow a Jewish guy who got killed, but he got up from the dead. So, I mean, like, that's a strange story. You bring strange things to our ears. It's true. But it's the story that we have to offer the world. And so we make the announcement that God loves the world. And he sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world. And he raised him from the dead in order that that world could find a life that lasts forever. That's the story we offer the world. And I'm going to pray in just a second. But my, before we do it, my guess is that you know somebody this week that that maybe has been rumbling around in your relationship. Some coworker, again, some friend or, or, or parent from the baseball team or whatever. My guess is that you know somebody like that. So I want to fix that person in your mind, and then I want to pray. 